Today on The Journey with Steve DeWitt. Your neighbor would be shocked, I would bet, to realize what generosity looks like. Because in the world, that's like the opposite of the way that you live. You don't live to give, you live to hoard, to accumulate. And yet, as Christians now, surrendering our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, we are called to be generous to God and do so because we actually want to because of what he has done in our life. And yet, I think for many people, this is some form of insanity. Just as Jesus gave freely to us, he urges us to give freely to others. Yet God encourages us to see beyond the transactional nature of giving and embrace a spirit of generosity that's full of joy and satisfaction. Welcome to The Journey with Steve DeWitt. Today, Pastor Steve shares a message from the book of Acts about what it means to live generously. You can listen online at thejourney.fm. But right now, let's join Pastor Steve as he begins part two of a message titled, The Generous Life. Well, if you have a Bible today, you could turn to Acts 20. We're in a little series, two-part, two-week series on the subject of stewardship. Last week was more on the stewardship of money and the obligatunity that we have to give sacrificially to the Lord. Now, oh, oh, you don't know what an obligatunity is? Maybe you don't know what an opportunity is. Maybe I need to say what that means, possibly. Perhaps you're saying to yourself, you know, I've never heard that word before. Did I miss something? Nope. Nope, you didn't. I made it up. It's a word I made up. And uh, it's a smash word. Smashing two words together. Obligation and opportunity. Smash together, you get the word opportunity. Now, what is an opportunity? Well, an opportunity is when what you have to do is also what you want to do. When what I have to do is what I want to do. And life is filled with opportunities. It's when you want to do the thing that you have to do. Then that is something that is filled with meaning. It is the desire to do the duty that fills the duty with Uh, significance and with with meaning and we're spending these two weeks on giving and one of the things that we have to realize is that giving to God is an opportunity is it something that we have to do yes it is the Bible makes that clear it is an act of obedience and if we don't we are being disobedient to God however God is not in heaven uh, needing our gifts He's not honored by our duty gifts. He is honored by our delight gifts when we want to do what he has commanded us to do. It is properly motivated by the love of God and in that love of God and love for God. And God, of course, knows our hearts. And so when we give to him out of hearts that are overflowing with joy and gladness in him, it fills that gift with meaning and it brings honor to the, to the Almighty. Now, last week, we uh, studied the story of the widow and her two little coins. And if you remember the story, there were, Jesus is at the temple, and uh, the rich are coming and are offering, are dropping their 
offerings into the offering box, and Mark tells us that they were actually throwing their bags of money into the offering box, and we speculated as to why they might be throwing their bags, and I think uh, accurately are assuming it's because they wanted to make a big noise, and for people to say, wow, who, whoa, whoa, did you see what he gave? Yeah, that's right, I did that. But then, little widow, destitute poor widow comes up, and she has two coins, that's all she owns. And she drops those coins into the box, and they go, blink, blink. And Jesus sees her sacrifice, her offering, and he calls all the disciples together and says, see that? That woman gave more than all the rest of them. Now, we talked about, does, does, is Jesus just not good at accounting? Does he just not understand really what was going on there? Actually, he really did understand what was going on there, and that in the economy of God, we find that we are not evaluated based on how much we give, but on how much we keep, and the sacrifice that the giving required, and that uh, the greater the sacrifice, the greater the honor it is to the Lord, so that the rich people gave large amounts, but their sacrifice was small. The widow gave a very small amount, but the sacrifice was great, and in the eyes of God, that was a gift uh, that uh, was worthy of Jesus' commendation. And so that was last week. Today we are here in Acts 20, and a very small text that we'll get to here in a moment, here here is the context of the text, is that uh, the Apostle Paul is on his way back to Jerusalem, and on his way he decides that he wants to meet with some of the leaders of a church that he had previously spent three years at, the church at Ephesus, and so he says, hey, you guys meet me on the beach at Miletus. And so they meet him there, and uh, so it's a beach scene. You need to visualize this. There are crashing waves. It's a beautiful spot. The elders are there, probably some others, and the Apostle Paul. And he gives them now his final words. They know, he knows, they're never going to see each other again. And he gives them a final exhortation. And that exhortation, we're not going to read the whole, the whole thing, but basically he's saying to them, listen, you guys need to be good shepherds of the flock. You need to be on your lookout for the wolves that are going to come and try to destroy the sheep. And then he gets down uh, to verse 33, and this is what he says. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So his final exhortation here to these church leaders is that as leaders, their inheritance, and really all Christians, their inheritance is with Christ. He says that in verse 32, that uh, they are not to love or covet uh, the possessions of the people in the church, or one another for that matter. It is the 10th commandment that we're not to covet what each other has in any way. And he gives his own ministry as an example of that. And then he quotes Jesus, this little phrase, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now this afternoon what you could do is you could get your your, uh, Bible out and you could read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and try to find this quotation of Jesus. Guess what? You're not going to find it. It's nowhere in the Gospels. In fact, this is the only quotation of Jesus from his ministry on earth outside of those four Gospels. And of course, Jesus said many things that were not recorded. John says if all the things that he did and said were recorded, the whole world couldn't contain the books, he says in John, I actually have the reference here, John 21, 25. So here we have one. 
Here's one thing that Jesus said, and apparently this had been quoted and requoted maybe in the church. Paul knew about it, heard about it, and he basically quotes now what they have heard Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive, which is a very difficult statement to believe. I have a tall order here this morning to convince you that this is true beyond the fact that it's in the inspired word of God, and the reason for that is that receiving is pretty wonderful, isn't it? How many of us like to receive? I like receiving. I would be, uh, I would be with you there. I enjoy receiving uh, as much as anyone, and I could list some of the things that I enjoy receiving, uh, but I've done that many times in the past, so I will uh, <laughs> not give the list again. <clears throat> uh, gift cards. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I, no. We love to receive. So for, for this to say that it is more blessed to give than to receive is, is difficult for us to believe. Also, we need to realize that this is a statement given in context. It doesn't, mean, it, does, it doesn't apply everywhere. For example, we can't say it is more blessed to give to Uncle Sam than to receive. No, I don't. I, no amens on that, probably. Although we are to render to Caesar, okay, we're, we're for that. But uh, here in a few weeks with the uh, tax bill due, uh, it's not necessarily more blessed to give than to receive. So it doesn't apply there. We, it's more blessed to give at work than to receive or something. This is a statement that Paul is bringing up in the context of his ministry or in the ministry of the kingdom of God which is vitally important to understand that in the context of a life being lived out for the sake of God or for the sake of Christ, it is true that it is more blessed to give than to uh, receive. Now last week we made the point that Jesus uh, makes elsewhere that Christianity is not simply a belief that I hold to in one particular aspect of my life so that I can live the rest of my life the way that I want it to be lived, that Christianity is not, in that way, it's not my religion, it is my life. That it is a way of life, it is a way of looking at everything, it is a worldview that is all-encompassing. And that when I come to Christ, as was represented today in these baptisms, that I am dying to myself and I am being made alive unto Christ, that now all of my life is lived out in the relationship that I have with God, okay? So that I am not just a Christian on Sunday morning and then I live the rest of the, the, the week the, the way that I want, uh, or uh, I'm not that way, but that all of my life, every day, is a surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And in that surrender, the hardest area for many people is the whole area of money. Of all the the bondages that we have and all the idols that we have in our heart, the idol of possession and the idol of things and the idol of what Jesus called mammon is like the hardest thing to give up. So that we want, we want Christianity to impact certain areas of our life. For example, many people want to have a Christian home and they want uh, Christ to be Lord of their home and they have pictures of him praying on the wall, and they, they uh, have Bibles laying around, and they, we want to have a Christian home. And many people want to have a Christian marriage, and they see in the model of the New Testament how that relationship can really be a blessing. And so, yes, we want a Christian uh, marriage. And, and Christians get pretty excited about a Christian future. It's pretty good, isn't it? Eternal life, 
You fired up about that? It's not bad. It's, it, I'm for a Christian future. I'm for a Christian marriage. I'm for a Christian home. But too often we don't want a Christian checkbook. In fact, anytime you start talking about this, I find people get squirmy. In fact, I'm looking around right now. Any squirming going on? Other than from small children that might be here. Any squirming going on? Because this is the area now the palms begin to sweat and we begin to get nervous and we begin to wonder what on earth is this guy going to say today? What church have we come to visit today, honey? We've picked the wrong Sunday. Perhaps you have. <laughs> Yet Jesus said it this way. The clearest indication of the condition of our heart and what we really value is what we do with our money. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, Matthew 6, 21. So here we have this great indicator of where we are spiritually, and too often we don't want to think about it, and we don't want to talk about it, and maybe we don't want to hear messages on it, but you're going to get one here today. So here's what Paul is saying, is that in the context of the kingdom of God and my life being lived out under the lordship of Jesus Christ, that it is more blessed to give than to receive. That is always true. Now I want to, I want to define giving for us here today. This is what, and in, in it's more blessed to give than to receive, this is what he's meaning by give. Giving is generosity of life motivated by a love for God given to the kingdom of God. A generosity of life. And that's really, if there's anything from these little two messages that I'm hoping to cultivate in our church, it is a, it is a generous life. It is a spirit of magnanimity. There's a word in there somewhere. A, a, an otherness, a generosity. And it, of course, includes money, but it includes much more. Generous with time with others, willingness to share with others, willingness to, to share your story, your things, a listening ear. I mean, it goes, generosity is much more than just simply money. And of course, the Apostle Paul models that as well. He was a, can you read the story of Paul and not realize this is, a, this is a guy sold out for Christ. I mean, this guy was, he gave his life to the Lord and uh, he didn't hold anything back, including, as he brings up, the way that he handled his finances. So, there is uh, then this statement of Jesus. There is great irony in it, though, if you really think about it. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Think with me now. It is more blessed to give than to receive. There, are, there is more receiving in giving than there is in receiving. You receive more in giving than you receive in receiving. It's basically what he's saying. It is more blessed, there are more blessings that you receive in giving than blessings you receive in keeping or hoarding or not giving. So it's kind of one of these statements that obviously came from somebody really smart like Jesus because you can just think about it a lot. It's got texture to it. And this is one of them. There are more blessings with, receive, with giving than with receiving. And as we got done saying earlier, we think receiving is pretty great too. So giving must really be awesome if it's better than receiving, if the blessings associated with it are such. So as we talk about this, whenever we talk about money, I, as I said before, people get a little bit squirmy. And I think in particular, 
Uh, when I think about people that I've known in my past, in particular non-Christians, I think the average non-Christian, your neighbor, would be shocked at the way that a generous Christian handles his or her money. Don't you think? I mean, think about what it means to be a generous uh, giver. Just the whole concept of tithing, you know. Your neighbor would be shocked, I would bet, to realize how much uh, generosity, what generosity looks like. Because in the world, that's like the opposite of the way that you live. You don't live to give, you live to hoard, to accumulate. And yet, as Christians now, surrendering our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, we are called to be generous to God and do so because we actually want to because of what he has done in our life. And yet, I think for many people, this is some form of insanity. This is some form of insanity. And I would like to show how generosity to God is not insane. It is the only sane and reasonable thing for a Christian uh, to do. And to understand that, we have to understand the big picture of Christian generosity. We have to understand giving to God in redemptive context. And this is what the Apostle Paul does. You can turn here if you would like in 2 Corinthians 8. 2 Corinthians 8 uh, the, the apostle gives the big picture and with it argues with the Corinthians as to why grace giving is the only reasonable thing for a Christian uh, to do. So 2 Corinthians 8, look at verse 7. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in uh, your love for us, See that you also excel in this, in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Here it is. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Now, here's what Paul's doing. He is making a direct connection between the grace giving in verse 7 and the redemptive work of Christ for us in verse 9. Do you see that? So in verse 9, he is summarizing what Christ did for us in three phases. Here's the first. And the first phase is that uh, Jesus was rich. Okay? Jesus was rich. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich... What is this talking about? It's talking about the, the riches of Christ prior to his incarnation. Before he came to this world, Jesus dwelt in glory. He was the Son of God. And in that context of heaven had a richness of experience that, begoes, that goes beyond our understanding. He was obviously perfect in power. He was perfect in might. He had no needs. There was nothing that he was lacking he had perfect relationship with the Father and with the Spirit and had dwelt in this glory for all of eternity. And so here is now the Son of God. Imagine what it was like to be Jesus prior to the incarnation. Just glory emanating from him, the Shekinah glory that the Old Testament talks about. It was, it was wonderful. It was fabulous. He was rich. And of course, when we think of riches, we think of money. And, and that's not what this is necessarily talking about because in heaven money doesn't mean anything. 
It is glory that means something. And he had perfect and infinite glory. Wow. Think of that. Just, that's first phase. Second phase. Paul says, yet for your sakes he became poor. Jesus became poor. And this is talking about his incarnate humility. When he came to earth, he leaves that glory and that, those riches, and he becomes one of us. And this includes the humility of just being human that you and I know so well, that we are weak and we get tired and we get hungry and we get thirsty and, and uh, living in a fallen world, all of the experiences that that means. This was Jesus now living in this sin-sick world with people like us. Talk about culture shock, huh? Think of Jesus coming down to earth. Couldn't be any more different. He became poor. That's what he's saying here, a poverty of experience. And then, of course, to understand his sufferings, And that in his sufferings, he was beaten, he was mocked, he was spit upon, he was flogged, he was crucified. Horrible experience. And then on top of that, to bear the sins of the world as the Father places the guilt of the sins of the world upon the Son, that this was, for Christ, a horrible experience, an impoverishment. It was was humility. So he was rich. He became poor. Here's the third one. His, pro- his poverty brings us riches so that through you, his poverty might become rich. So the story of Jesus really is this. It's a riches to rags story. Our story in Christ is a rags to riches story. We have in him all of these incredible riches and benefits, the kind that really means something for all eternity. So here's what Paul is saying, is that grace-giving or Christian generosity makes perfect sense in in the big picture of what God has done for us, his amazing generosity to us. And friend, if you're one of like my friends that I wonder who, you know, this just seems so crazy in all of that, you have to understand the generosity of God for Christian generosity to not only make sense, but to make perfect sense. And here we are as Christians living in light of God's grace to us. And we have commands and teachings like we've been talking about. And God says, hey, be generous. It's more blessed to be generous. And for some people, they take that at its word and they're generous back to God. And, and so many Christians, the statistics are scary, how many Christians nickel and dime God back. Do we get it? Do we really understand what God has given to us, his generosity? That's a challenging message from Pastor Steve DeWitt here on The Journey. Today's message is titled, The Generous Life, Part 2, from the Living a Generous Life series. You can replay it online at thejourney.fm or subscribe to our podcast. Just search your favorite podcast app for The Journey with Pastor Steve DeWitt. Well, right now, I want to just take a minute to thank our ministry partners. The journeys made possible in part by the gifts of friends like you who give to this ministry. Thanks to your generous contributions, we can broadcast this Bible teaching program on stations throughout the United States and abroad. Your financial support is the fuel behind our ability to spread the gospel's truth to people across the globe. And if you'd like to partner with us in this vital mission, you can give to support the journey when you visit our website, 
thejourney.fm. Or if it's easier, call us at 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844-756-8763. And to say thank you for your gift, we'll be sending you The Treasure Principle by Randy Elkhorn. Jesus spent more time talking about money and possessions than about heaven and hell combined. But too often, we've overlooked or misunderstood this profound teaching on this topic found in Matthew 6. In The Treasure Principle, Alcorn offers us life-changing investment advice from Christ himself and helps us discover the joy of generous living. You can request your copy of this excellent book when you call us at 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844-756-8763 or visit thejourney.fm. If you'd like to connect with us or send a note, then be sure to follow our Facebook page or send us an email. You'll find the links at the top of our homepage at thejourney.fm. Well, I'm Tim Svoboda. Be sure to come back tomorrow when Pastor Steve DeWitt continues the message called The Generous Life, Part 2. That's Thursday on The Journey. Today's program was produced and furnished by Bethel Church in Crown Point, Indiana.